warfare, but also learning that this section, this paragraph is meant to summarize and bring application to the entirety of the letter to the Ephesians. So we're going to look at verse 17 in particular this morning. The title of this message is The Sword You Need. Let's pray and ask God to speak to us through His Word. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. And Lord, how, how amazing it is. And Lord, help us to, to stop and ponder that we have the words of the eternal, infinite God in our own language to read and to study and to be transformed by. And, and Lord, Your Word is not just academics, not just logic and grammar and black and white. Lord, Your Word is living and active. And You speak to us. And through Your Word, we encounter You. And we're changed. We're changed into the image of Christ. We're rescued from our sin. We're, we're made a people uh, to look and be like Christ and to reach the nations. So thank You for Your Word. Most of all, in all these things, we get to experience and encounter You. That's what we want most of all. So Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, speak to us this morning through Your Word. Change us. Glorify Your worthy name, we ask. In Christ's name, Amen. Amen. Let's read verses 10-20 through 20 in chapter 6. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm." Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the Gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the Gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. God's Word from Ephesians 6, 10-20. Anyone here ever work with an oxyacetylene torch? And if you know what that is, you know what it is. If you don't, sorry, I'll explain a little bit. Oxyacetylene torch is a torch that uses oxygen and acetylene together, and they combine, and, uh, and it's used, this torch is used for welding and other stuff, and it's like the hottest torch there is. It burns at 6,000 degrees Fahrenheit. I got to use one a little bit when I was an engineer before I was a pastor. And it was kind of cool, but it was intimidating too. Um, you turn, first you turn on the acetylene, you have this little spark thing. You light, you light the acetylene, and then you turn the oxygen on. And, and when you light the acetylene, it, it kind of hisses as it burns, like that. Then you turn on the oxygen, and it, and it goes, well, it roars. I won't make the sound of the mic. It makes this roaring sound really loud. 
and it, and it gets pretty loud, and, and the flame grows, you have to adjust it. And then you have this roaring 6,000 degree torch in front of you. And, and it, it can be intimidating, but my attitude was, this is cool. And, and then, what can I burn with this? Because <laughs> it will cut right through steel. It's so hot. It will cut right through steel. And I actually use it for other things. But, but that, that was kind of my response to this really powerful tool. And I don't know if you have that response to things like oxyacetylene torches or, or other things. There's all sorts of really cool tools out there. And I guess maybe I'm just a boy at heart. You know, I, I like power tools. I like things like that. And, um, on Route 93, as you've gone up to New Hampshire, have you seen that, that they're, they're drilling the rock? They have these giant jackhammers. They're drilling through the rock, and they're just like eliminating all the, the rock between the lanes to expand the highway. I think those tools are great. Those little uh, pavement uh, millers, they're called. You know, they rip up the pavement and stuff, and they redo the pavement. Those are cool. Wood, wood chippers, aren't those really cool? I mean, they just like, they turn those things on, and, and they just throw anything in there. And I mean, big, huge logs, right? I, I mean, I would just, if I were a pastor, I'd just like to be the guy that gets to throw the stuff in the wood chipper, you know, and just watch it go. Um, all these things are, are powerful instruments, and, and, and they can be inspiring, they're cool, but they're also amazingly useful. Well, this morning, we're going to talk about a tool, an implement, that is the most powerful tool in the entire universe. The most powerful implement in the entire universe. The most powerful weapon in the entire universe. And as such, it is incredibly useful. That is the Word of God. We're going to talk about the, the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit. This is God's choice weapon. It's the, God's choice implement. When God wants to get the job done, He picks up this this weapon, the sword of the Spirit. He has given this weapon that is really powerful, more powerful than anything. It's infinitely powerful, actually, and incredibly useful and effective. This infinitely powerful tool is given to us for us to use and to wield. And in the context of Ephesians, in the context of these verses, we learn that this important tool is used to defeat Satan's schemes. We defeat Satan's schemes when we are active in sharing God's Word. We defeat Satan's schemes against us and against God's purposes when we are active in sharing the Word. And, and that Word is especially, and we'll talk about this, is especially the Gospel, the, the good news, the core, the point of the sword, if you will, is the Gospel. When we are active in sharing God's Word, we defeat Satan's schemes. This word is the very sword of the Holy Spirit. So that's what I want to talk about this morning. I just want to hit on those things I just said in that sentence. First, I want to talk about that, it, that it's the sword of the Spirit. The Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. There's a reason that Paul uses this description. We're going to talk about the word, that it's the Word of God. We're going to talk about that it's especially the Gospel. And then we're going to just talk about that we must be active in sharing. So those are the four points if you're taking notes. Sorry, we don't have notes on paper uh, to give you but perhaps you can just use the back of the bulletin or whatever. So those four points. First, it's the sword of the Spirit. Paul, in this metaphor in verses 10-20, through 20, is using the image of a Roman soldier. We're familiar with that. Um, he's also using the Old Testament, and I'll get into that as well. He's kind of combining these images from Scripture and from their contemporary culture. 
And Roman soldiers of the day would have fought in units. It's such an important thing to get. I have to keep on saying it. It doesn't say it in the, the context because really it's assumed. They would have understood in, in Ephesus that to think of a Roman soldier was never to think of a lone Roman soldier. They always fought in units. They would fight in the smallest unit was a group of eight uh, soldiers, but they would fight side by side. They would fight actually in lines, uh, multiple lines of soldiers, numbering even in the thousands. And each soldier had complete armor, had all these sorts of components that we've been talking about. And the, the main offensive weapon, the most common, the main offensive weapon for the Roman soldier was the sword. And it's actually not a sword like we tend to think of it. We think of medieval swords, you know, like big, long, like four foot long, you know, uh, big swords. It's not. It's a very short sword, only about two feet long or so. Uh, and it, it was not a sword that you would kind of swing around. It was a sword that was used in combination with all your other armor. It was used in combination with locking shields with other soldiers. It was used wearing everything else. And what they would do is they would, they would thrust the sword, this short sword, from between the shields. And that's how they would attack the enemy. That's how they, they did their warfare for the most part. And it was incredibly effective. I'll get into that in a little bit. Actually, I, I have a story. Yeah, um, there, uh, in, there were many battles to talk about for the Romans. Um, one of the great battles, a very fascinating battle, was the battle, um, a battle in Britain in 60 AD, the Battle of Watling Street, if I remember it right. And in that battle, what had gone on is Rome had gone into, um, gone into Britain and conquered, and they had mistreated the people, and there was a rebellion led by Boudicca, a famous uh, queen of the Celts. And there were 230,000 Celts warring against the Romans. And they actually decimated one of the, an entire Roman legion. They ambushed a whole legion, decimated, almost killed everybody in the legion. And there was like really one legion left. 10,000... Uh, Roman soldiers against 230,000 Celtic warriors. And another little thing to know is that the Celts, by and large, on average, were six inches or so taller and 70 pounds heavier than the average Roman soldier. So these guys are picture like five foot six, you know, Roman soldiers, and then six foot tall or so Celts fighting. 230,000 of them against 10,000. And in this great battle, uh, they used these tactics. They were outnumbered 23 to 1. They used these tactics of full armor, side by side, shields up, thrusting swords. And they formed a wedge, a multiple wedge actually, and they, and they defeated the 230,000 Celts in the Battle of Watling Street. Um, there was no street back then, they just call it that now. But, but they d defeated all of them. They, there were 80,000 casualties among the Celts and only 400 among the Romans. And this Roman short sword and their tactics was vital, was key in what they did. They were really an overwhelming force because of how they used this sword. And that's the metaphor that Paul's using here. And the picture, the image of a, an effective Roman soldier in a unit fighting and this sword being this effective offensive weapon in conjunction with the rest of the armor. The reason I go into all that is not just to tell a good story. So you would get in your mind that you're not called to kind of stand there like a medieval warrior with this sword just kind of swinging it around in hand-to-hand -hand combat, somehow defeating the enemy. You're to use it in conjunction with the rest of the armor. You're to use it in conjunction with your whole unit together. The sword has its place and is very effective when used together with the other components. 
Paul is also referencing here not just the image of the Roman soldier, but Scripture itself. Scripture talks about God's Word being a weapon in, in multiple places. Hebrews 4.12, perhaps you're aware of, and I think we have this to project. It says, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So God's Word is like a sword. It's actually living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And the two-edged sword would have been a, uh, like a, the Roman sword. It's a weapon. And then in Romans, I mean Revelation 1, we see Jesus Himself pictured with a sword coming out of His mouth. There, John encounters Jesus. He sees Him in this vision. And in verse 16 of chapter 1, it says, "...in His right hand He held seven stars. From His mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and His face was like the sun, shining in full strength." So Jesus has a sword coming out of His mouth, and that's speaking of the Word being a sword. The sword is... I mean, the Word of God is described by many metaphors in Scripture. Lamp, light, medicine, rain and snow, fire, hammer food, seed, milk, and of course Jesus Himself is the Word. Capital W, the Word. But here in this passage, it's called a sword. Why? Why a sword and why not another analogy? Well, certainly it's consistent with the armor analogy, but there's more to it because Scripture itself, outside of the Roman analogy, the Roman metaphor, speaks of of the sword, the Word being a sword. And that's because a sword is used to do what? To inflict harm on the enemy, right? It's used to inflict harm on the enemy. It's used to defeat the enemy. It's used to destroy the enemy. It's used as a weapon. It's used actively to to do something against the enemy and to accomplish victory. And we must understand that this is God's orientation with His Word. His Word is not a suggestion. His his Word is not an idea merely. His Word is not a passive thing. His Word is not meant to to just stand idle there. His Word is meant to accomplish things. His Word is meant to bring victory. His Word is meant to defeat the enemy. His Word is meant to defeat sin and death. His Word is meant to, to have a great effect. His Word is meant to accomplish the things that God has in mind. It's a sword. It's a weapon. And it's meant to defeat and destroy the enemy. We shouldn't shy from that aspect at all of the Word of God. It is not passive. It's active. It's meant to accomplish things. It's meant to do its work. It's meant to inflict serious damage on the enemy. And accomplish great victory for God. And here it's called the sword of whom? It's the sword of The Spirit, right? This is the sword of the Spirit. Who is the Spirit? The Spirit is the Holy Spirit. He is God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They are one in being. Different in function, but one in being. And the Spirit with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified. He is God. He is God the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. So, so what we're seeing here, it's, it calls this the sword of the Spirit. It really, this is God's sword. This is God's weapon. This is God's weapon of choice. This is God's chief weapon. The Word of God. 
Every other weapon falls short of the power and effectiveness of God's weapon. And we get to hold this weapon in our hands. This is it. Right here. This is God's sword. This is the sword of the Spirit. This is more powerful than any other weapon that's out there. It's more effective than any other tool that's there. This is God's Word. This is how God accomplishes His purposes. This is how God conquers the enemy. And He will conquer the enemy entirely. This is how God works His purposes in and through your life. This is how God rescues people from sin and darkness. This is God's powerful weapon. The sword of the Spirit. There's nothing more powerful than this. And you and I get to hold it in our hands and use it. And we should have that same mentality that I did when I lit that torch. Cool. What do I get to do with it? How can I use it? What does God want me to do with this thing? This is powerful. This is cool. But it's not meant to to be idle. It's meant to be taken up and used and applied to, to... to have its effect in our lives, to have its effect against the enemy, to have its effect in putting sin to death, to have its effect in answering the lies and and deception and temptation and condemnation of the enemy. It's to have its effect. This is a powerful weapon that we must take up and use. I don't know if you are familiar with the Marvel comic character Thor. Um, Not the mythological one, but the comic character Thor. Featured in a number of movies. I'm not necessarily recommending the movies one way or the other, but they're interesting movies. I've seen some of them. And a key part of Thor's power is his what? His hammer. Right? Thor's hammer. And, and the way it's depicted in, in the movies, it's a kind of like a really big mini sledgehammer. It's, a, it's like that big, short handle. And it's a powerful weapon. He can do a lot with this... this uh, Hammer. It can smash like unbreakable armor and destroy it. It can cause tornadoes and storms. It can transform Thor into a mortal. It can transport him through space and time. All in this hammer. And, and it always returns to Thor. He just has to put his hand out, right? And it comes from wherever it is and goes into his hand. It can only be wielded by those who are worthy. And part of That's part of the storyline. Thor becomes worthy and then he wields it. Even the Incredible Hulk, the, man, the green man-mountain himself, cannot even pick up the, the hammer of Thor and use it. It's this mighty, mighty weapon in Thor's hand. And it's pure fantasy. It's pure fantasy. But it is a reflection of the divine weapon, God's sword. This is not fantasy. And this is not a demigod's weapon. This is the God's weapon. And it's real. And it's powerful. And it's more effective than Thor's hammer or anything you ever might hold in your hands. Right here. God's Word. The sword of the Spirit. So let me ask you in light of this and ask myself, are you depending on this mighty weapon which has been given you? Do you realize what you have in your hands? Are you going to it when in trouble? Are you going to it in need personally? When others around you are in trouble or in need, are you going to this mighty 
weapon, this great tool. When you see the problems around you, God would use you in. Are you going to this great weapon? That's God's intent. That we understand what this is. This is the sword of the Spirit. This is the mighty weapon. If in the comic world, you had your Thor's hammer going around and a problem came down, wouldn't you reach out to Thor's hammer, right? I mean, of course you would. And if you were watching a movie and Thor was encountering some evil alien and the hammer's sitting there and he's trying to battle on his own, you'd be like, Thor, pick up your hammer! You'd be shouting to the movie screen, right? This is greater than that. Pick up the sword and use it. Use this mighty sword. The sword of the Spirit. It's the very Word of God as well. It is the sword of the Spirit. It is the Word of God. This, this book, this book full of 66 other books, it's really not quite like a book. It's more like a library in your hand. It's an important understanding when you approach it. It's like a library. When you open up this book, it's like walking into a library. It's like walking into a bookshelf. You don't just necessarily read it from the beginning to the end. There's particular books that are good places to start, like the Gospel of John, great place to start. Gospel of Mark. It's full of all these different books, 66 different books, 39 Old Testament, 27 New Testament, all written by men, but written by God. The Word of God is breathed out by God Himself. It is God's Word, not just men's words. And there's no word in here that's a throwaway word. There's nothing in here that's just kind of trivial. There's nothing in here written because God just had a bad day. He had a pet peeve going on, so He just decided to write some obscure stuff or whatever. It comes from a perfect God. Perfect in wisdom. Perfect in love. Perfect in holiness. Infinitely glorious. In His wisdom, He's determined exactly what we need to hold in our hands. There's other things about God that, that He might reveal to us that would not contradict this Word, but it's just not here. He didn't necessarily include that, but He did include everything we need for life and godliness. Every aspect of life that we need to address as far as its core issues is addressed in this book. In this sword of the Spirit. It's for us. Every last word, every phrase, every story, every detail are divine. God's very words. God's very words. Not kind of containing God's words somehow. But God's very words. For us. For our lives. And so when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, when He had fasted 40 days and He faced Satan Himself directly, what did He do? Did He sit there while the sword lay idly by? No. He picked it up. And He wielded it. In Matthew chapter 4, actually, let's take a look at that. It says, Then Jesus was led up, by the, led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, 
He will command His angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and Him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Matthew 4, 1-11. Jesus goes to the sword of the Spirit. God the Son uses the sword of the Holy Spirit. And He actually in this uses the book of Deuteronomy. Just one little book in the Bible. And part of why He does that, that book of the Bible was given to God's people, Israel, when they were in the desert, that they might battle against the enemy successfully. They largely failed. Not because the Word wasn't sufficient because they chose not to use it and walk in it. But Jesus did use it. Just this one book of the Bible full of promises and commands to counter the lies and schemes of the devil. And we have 65 other books to access in this book to address any and all of the devil's schemes. To accomplish all of God's purposes. Packed full of promises from God. Wonderful promises from God that God Himself stands behind. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved, it says in Scripture. That's a promise. That's a promise for you. That's a promise for you today. To simply call upon Him. Wherever you might be, maybe you've never considered any of this stuff. And you're here just wondering. That promise is for you. Call upon the name of the Lord. Lord, rescue me from my sin, my situation. I need Your help. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's a promise in Scripture. And there's so many other promises packed in this book, in this weapon for you to claim, to stand on, to believe. He will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in the Lord. Another promise. Perfect peace. There's, and I could just spend the rest of the time giving you promises. And there's commands here too. There's ways of living we're called to in light of these promises. As we live in these promises, as, as we experience them and walk in them, there's commands. There's a holy way of living as well. That's part of the revelation. That's why Jesus referred to that. He says it is written to live this way. Worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. This book is powerful. The Word of God accomplishes what He sends it to do. By His Word, He created the heavens. By His Word, He sustains creation. By His Word, He saves us. By the Word of the Gospel, the good news that Christ died for our sins and rose again. This Gospel, this good news, by this Word, He creates new life as we hear it. We believe. And we're born again in that moment of encountering the Word. There's life infused in us. And where there was death before, where there was a hard, stony heart, all of a sudden, there's a soft heart of faith. And repentance that says, yes, Jesus, I believe and I don't want to do that stuff anymore. Help me. And there's new life. (laughs) There's new life in us that's an eternal life that's born at that moment that goes on forever and creates a a growing growing experience of God and and a growing conformity to the image of Christ. And it's by His Word. By His Word, He speaks those things. And by His Word, He is storing up Creation for the final day. 
when He will come to judge all things. And, and to judge and then to create a new heavens and a new earth where there will be no more sin or sorrow. His Word is sure and that will happen. His Word does all these things. It's powerful. It never loses its power. It's eternal. It's infinite. It's from an infinite God. Everything else will pass, right? Heaven and earth will pass, but the Word of God will endure forever. Isn't that an amazing thing to think about? It endures forever. His Word will never perish. Everything else will pass away. The, the Word will remain and those who believe the Word and do the Word will remain with, it, with Him. Everything else has a half-life. Even the most powerful things that are out there. You guys know the idea of what a half-life is? Things that, are like, uh, that have power often have what's called a half-life. It means that a half-life is the amount of time it takes to diminish it to half its power. So if it's medicine, right? If you take some medicine, there's a half-life. Uh, some medicine's half-life is like a day or something, right? So after, after a day, it's half the power that it used to be. Uh, uh, nuclear fuel that's used has a half-life. Um, that's one of the problems with nuclear fuel. It's really powerful, right? It's great stuff. We can heat water and we can create electricity and all this. And I mean, they can do, make bombs out of it too. I mean, it's powerful stuff. But it has a half-life, but, but its half-life is a long half-life. It's 100,000 years. So it takes a while for it to diminish. That's part of the concern of that. So all this stuff has a half-life. What's the half-life of God's Word? 100,000 years? A million years? A uh, gazillion years? A Googleplex? 10 with 100 zeros behind it? Bigger than all that. It's eternal. It never loses its power. It never diminishes. It never fails to accomplish what God sends it to do. It's His Word. It's the Word of God. And so we're called in, in these truths, realizing it's the sword of the Spirit. It's His choice weapon. It's the very Word of God. We're called to, to listen to it. So are you listening to the Word of God? You are right now, I trust, as we talk about it. Are you reading it? Are you studying it? Are you memorizing it? I mean, I think when we get these things right, it changes our view of this. And it motivates us. I want to get to know the Word. I want to listen. I want to study. I want to memorize it. I want to get to know it. I want to get it in my mind. And have it flood my life. I want to pray it. I want to share it with others. If it can do all this stuff, if it's God's infinitely powerful, eternal Word, I can't wait to share it with somebody because I know it will have an effect. So I want to share it first, actually, as you start your day. Share it with yourself. Remind yourself of the promises. I want to share it with others. I want to share it with my family. I want to share it with my friends. I want to share it with my brothers and sisters in Christ because I know in their life it's going to have an effect. It's going to help them. It's going to give power. It's going to help them defeat the enemy. It's going to help them put away doubt and discouragement. It's going to help keep them away from, from evil things and lead them in the right way. So I want to share it. I want to share it with my, my friends and, and family, my neighbors who don't know about this. Because it's my only hope that they'll understand. And it's fully able to do that, I know. And it's doing it all over around the world right now. Transforming lives and whole cultures. So share it. Use this Word. Just a thing to understand in all this too, that it's important to see that, that this sword of the Spirit, that if I can use the metaphor some more, the point of the sword, the, the tip of that sword is actually uh, the, the, kind of the epicenter of the Word itself is the good news of Jesus Christ. 
That's important to understand because it, it puts things in perspective. All the Word is the Word of God. It's all-powerful, all-useful. But there's a point in the sword. And, and we see that in Scripture. We see that actually in Paul, how he even uses the words here. He, in chapter 1, verse 13, he says, uh, when you heard the Word of truth, the Gospel of your salvation and believed were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Chapter 5, it talks about this. Elsewhere in Scripture, it talks about word like this. That it's not just uh, word, any, any word from the Bible. It's the, the, the crux, the core, the tip of the, the point, which is the, the Gospel, the good news. The word of blessing. The good news of the Gospel that Christ has come. He died on the cross. God came in His great love for us. Lived among us. Lived a perfect life and offered up that righteous life on the cross in our place. The wages of sin is death. The wages of sin, the only right response of God towards our sin and rebellion against Him is to exile us, to cut us off from Him, to, to, to put us where we belong in spiritual death apart from Him, and to live there forever should we continue. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ. Christ came and bore our sins on the cross. Took our sins on Himself. Was treated on that cross as if He had done all those things. As if He had thought all those things that you and I have done and thought. And the holy justice of God, the holy wrath of God was poured out on Christ. That was what was so horrific for Him, by the way, about the cross. The physical pain was brutal enough. But the agony of Gethsemane in the garden was was facing bearing sin in the holy, powerful wrath of God. But He paid for it. He, he, on that cross, took it and said, it is finished. It stands finished. It's paid for. And He rose again on the third day victorious over sin. Our sin. Your sin. My sin. And death. He rose victorious. And He's ascended. He's reigning. And He's finishing the work of, of transforming lives and bringing His people to Himself. But this good news of the Gospel is the core. It's the tip of the spear. It's the most important aspect of the Word. And so our engagement of this and our use of the sword must keep that Gospel front and center. Because that's faithful to the Word and effective for God. And it's effective in our spiritual battle in so many ways. It's effective in how it helps us helps us in just our own temptation. I love how the Gospel, the good news, comes in and rescues us in temptation and despair. I, I, and, and we can do that lots of ways in memorizing it, sharing it, and singing it. We sing the Word here. We love to sing the truths of Scripture. I love the song, the contemporary hymn, Before the Throne of God. I have a, one verse to show you. This is a wonderful verse. It speaks of uh, how this functions in our lives. It says, When Satan tempts me to despair, and tells me of the guilt within, you ever had that happen to you? Tempted to despair? Feel like giving up? You're aware of the guilt? You're aware of your failure? All seems dark. Upward I look and see Him there who made an end of all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on Him and pardon me. That song is simply using the sword in our own lives. Using the Gospel in our own lives. 
to speak to ourselves. When the enemy speaks to us and we feel condemned, we feel all is dark, all hope is lost, we remember Christ died for our sins. We are forgiven. God has justified us in Christ. He looks on Christ and pardons us. We are forgiven. There's, there's no condemnation for us. But love and forgiveness and a God committed to are transforming us and making us like Him. I love how the Word of God does that. I love how the Word of God transforms those under the power of the devil. In October, I get to go to Nepal and, and it's just amazing what's going on in Nepal. A generation ago, in 1950, there were zero Christians in Nepal. None. In this nation of 30 million people, no Christians. It was largely a Hindu and Buddhist nation. And there was a lot of spiritual darkness. Today, there are close to 1 million Christians in Nepal. And most of those Christians have come to Christ in the past 15 years. Think about that, guys. We are celebrating today with our potluck our 14th anniversary, right? So when we started, just a little bit before we started, till now, two-thirds it is, two-thirds of the Christians, two-thirds of the one million, right? So 700 million, 700,000 have come to Christ in that amount of time. Can you imagine? I mean, it's, think about it. Think about the power of God's Word to transform a whole country. And, and part of why we're going there is because so many people have come to Christ. So many lives have been changed and, and freed from sin and darkness and come into the joy of Christ. So many marriages have been, have been transformed. So many families have been touched. So, many social, so much social good has been done actually through these believers and how they live and how they love each other, how they care for earthquake victims and so forth. So much has happened um, through the Word that there's a need for pastors to be trained to help them. And that's what we're going to do to train pastors. I love how the Word does that. Think about that. Uh, the, the power of the Word and what it's, what's gone on. Can you imagine God doing the same here through the Word? He's fully able. I don't know what the population in New England is. It's probably less than Nepal as a whole. right? I'd say I think it's about 15 million or so, maybe 20 the most. Can you imagine proportionally that many people encountering Christ, being transformed through the Word? That's what the Word does. That's what's going on elsewhere in the world. That's what God wants us to do here. He wants us to take up this sword, to share it, to share it with each other, to share it in our lives and to use it in our own life, but also to share it with those who don't know Christ. That's part of why things in Nepal are happening the way they are. And I just want to hit the final point. It requires us to be active and sharing it. This amazing thing, this amazing truth in all this is, is so important to get is that, that this infinitely powerful, this eternal weapon and tool of God, the Word of God, that is so powerful that can accomplish so much, God has determined to give it to us to wield. And to pretty much not to wield it if we don't. Now, He doesn't have to do it that way. But that's how He's determined to do it. He's determined to rely on us to wield it. He's given it to us. We are to take up the sword of the Spirit. We are to take it up. We're to wield it. It is infinitely powerful. It is eternal. But it is not effective unless we use it. God 
ordains the ends and the means. God ordains that this would be how it happens. We would use it. We would wield it. So think about that, guys. Think about the, the impact of that truth. Your friend, your family member, your brother or sister need you wielding the sword to help them. Sure, they need to be wielding it too if they belong to Christ. But we're, we don't do this thing alone. We do it together. And they need you to wield the sword in their lives. They need you to get to know this incredible book and to share it with them and encourage them in it and to point to the promises, to remind them. That's, that's such an important part of who we are as a church. That's why we're here right now. That's why we're doing this right now. My job is to do this with you, but your job is to do it as well. Actually, my job is to equip you so you go do it. My job is not to do it. That's important to get. I'm not, a, I'm not the professional. Let the professional handle the word. No. My job is to equip the true professionals, which is you guys. You guys are the ones called to wield the sword. And your brother or sister depends on you wielding it. Not only that, but your neighbor, your family member, your friend depends on you wielding the sword. And they likely don't have anyone else in their life who's going to do that for them. I don't do it to make you feel guilty. I don't think that's the best motivation. Not the highest one. The highest one is that we have this incredible privilege to wield the sword and to be part of what God's doing and touching people's lives and transforming them. It's how we love our neighbors. We love them by showing them Christ indeed. We, we love them by showing them what it looks like when we live under this Word. That needs to happen. But we love them by sharing the Word giving them the Word and that very most important aspect of the Word, the good news of Christ. That has power. So we are to be active in it. He calls us to an activity. He calls us to respond to Him. And I, and I just want to, in the closing here, if the band could come up as we close, just to encourage you to consider how to be active in sharing the Word. There's a lot of different aspects of being active in sharing the Word. Personally, in your own life, sharing with family members, sharing it with neighbors. But can you imagine if we were like folks in Nepal? One of the things that's gone on there is people come to Christ and partly because of their culture, but partly because they don't know any better. They hear the Word. It changes their lives. They tell somebody. They tell their neighbors and friends. They tell their extended family about it. And God in His mercy and grace and great power is transforming other lives. That's what's going on there. They're just simply telling it. Imagine if we were to do this simple thing, and this is what I want you to consider. Every day waking up saying, Lord, would You give me an opportunity today to share Your Word with one other person? To share the Gospel with one other person? Now that one other person might be just a friend who needs to hear about Jesus. They already know Jesus. They need encouragement. That's part of it. Let's not exclude that. Let's not make a dichotomy here. But also, should be someone who's never heard it. Every day just to pray that. And then to look for open doors to tell people about this book. This infinitely powerful, eternal weapon. To inflict damage on the enemy. The enemy of our souls and their souls and to accomplish and bring the Kingdom of God into people's lives. Now, I don't want to say you have to do that. But that is something I want to do this year.
every day to pray that. Lord, today, please give me an opportunity with those around me to share Your Word somehow. Just to do that. Can you imagine what God might do? Can you imagine if God were to replicate what's going on in Nepal here? Can you picture us a year from now? I can picture us a year from now. I can picture us a year from now. First, I see a greater joy among God's people because as we do that with each other, we are encouraged and strengthened ourselves. We are built up ourselves. The Lord's at work in us doing wonderful things. But I also can see in this room lots of new faces. Actually, I can see this room filled twice over by people who through hearing this Word have their lives changed. Have their marriages rescued. Have their addictions taken care of. Experience power and release from the chains that hold them. Encounter something that, that is far better than anything they could ever have imagined. I can see that. And this is God's choice tool in it all. So before we close in song, let's just prayerfully say, Lord, what can I do? What do you want me to do in light of this truth? And then we'll close.